Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. We don't want the pulpits of the churches today, any more pulpits, to become places of entertainment. So many churches today that, that are teaching and appealing to the humanity of man, to the carnality of man, to the flesh of man, to the greed of man, in order to, to gather a group of people. And while they're doing that, they're failing to disciple people in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, and he prepares all of us, you need to endure sound doctrine. Yes, it's going to be hard to hear. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's good to be with you, and welcome again to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be in John's Gospel, Chapter 1, looking today at one of the most precious doctrines in all of the Bible, the Incarnation. It really is amazing when you stop to consider it. God became man and dwelt among us. Let's take some time to unpack this glorious truth and see all that it means to you and me. Now, most of our studies through the Gospel of John will be rather smooth sailing as we follow along the dusty roads, watching and, and listening and growing from our Jesus. Because the Gospel of John falls into that category of books in the Bible known as narrative. And basically, a narrative is walking along a story. And if you ask any Bible teacher, they'll tell you narratives are the easiest to teach through. Because you just read the section, comment on it, read the section, and comment on it. They're much easier than the other section of the scripture, like the epistles, they fall under a different category. The epistles like Romans or Ephesians are not narrative. They fall under a category known as didactic. And that's just a fancy word that means teaching. And you'll know they they lay out some really heavy duty doctrines. Like when we spent all those years in Romans, I mean, it was to, to fashion the underpinnings of grace and the understanding of what God has done. So there are most of our studies in John will be very, very easy or smooth sailing, I should say, just as we're walking along, going Going through the narrative. But today, on occasion, like today, we're going to have to stop before we move on and deal with a doctrine. A doctrine. Now, I don't want you to be afraid of doctrine because every time we're studying the Bible, we're doing two things. Anytime you open up the Bible, anytime you stop and ask questions of the text in your devotional life, or even if you're reading, you're doing at least two things. You're studying theology. So you never looked at yourself as a theologian, but you're studying theology, which is studying God. So anytime you open the Bible, you're reading about God, you are studying theology at different levels. And secondly, you're studying doctrine. Doctrine. Don't let doctrine throw you. Doctrine just simply means teaching. You're being taught. So when I open the Bible and I'm learning something, I am learning doctrine. And that's why the Bible really encourages you and I to learn sound doctrine. So when you come to the Bible and you're learning sound doctrine, that could be defined as right teaching. Now, that makes sense. If we're going to be taught, we want to be taught right. And if we're going to be taught right, we want to be taught the right thing. 
And one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to pause on a doctrine. Remember, jot it down in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when the Bible speaks of itself in verse 16, it says all scripture is, is inspired of God and is profitable. Remember that? There were four things it was profitable for every time you open the Bible. The first one is doctrine. The Bible is valuable to teach you and I doctrine, the right way to live, God's perspective on things. And that's why we're warned later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, after Paul makes that, establishes that foundation with Timothy, this young pastor, he, he then says this in chapter 4 verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own devices, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. Now, when Paul wrote this, it was already happening. But I believe it's safe to say that that time that Paul warned about has come. That we're living in that time where sound doctrine must be endured because it will be difficult at times to match your life with the right teaching from God. And a lot of times people will will receive right teaching and match it to their life and fail to endure sound doctrine because it's difficult. When the Bible says, this is your life, you need to turn from this and go in a different direction, there is that temptation not to endure that. I don't want anything like that. I I don't want to hear that. Uh, Like, for example, uh, when... The topic of sin comes up, whether you're a person that's not in relationship with Jesus right now or you have been for a short amount of time, a long amount of time. Who in the world really wants to get up in the morning and talk about sin? Like, and talk about failures and talk about weaknesses. I, I think in the human realm, there's really not many of us that really want to major on this, but the Bible talks about sin all over the place. Jesus comes and he comes and preaches a message of repentance of what? Sin. But hey, you get tired of hearing a sin, you may want to knock on the doors of a few churches and, and find a church that doesn't teach on the topic of sin. And you know what the sad thing is? Is you'll find them. You'll find congregations today, you'll find pastors today that will skirt around the difficult issues because there's a lack of endurance. That's why Paul says you'll, you, it's possible for you and I, when we don't like hearing the message, to heap up for ourselves teachers that will tell us what we want to hear because it's more comfortable. And it's unfortunate. And each time I have an opportunity to interface with any of the pastors in our community, I always am encouraging them, get your people in the word. It doesn't matter what your philosophy of ministry is or how you want. You've got to get your people. You've got to get the people that are coming to your congregation in the Bible. In all of the Bible, it's all profitable to endure sound doctrine. We don't want the pulpits of the churches today, any more pulpits, to become places of entertainment so many churches today that that are teaching and appealing to the humanity of man, to the carnality of man, to the flesh of man, to the greed of man, in order to, to gather a group of people. And while they're doing that, they're failing to disciple people in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, and he prepares all of us, you need to endure sound doctrine. Yes, it's going to be hard to hear. Yes, you'll be tempted. I don't want to hear that anymore. I, it, it, there be, there'll be even times where people will go, man, it seems like every week, Pastor, you're talking on the same topic. When, when I go back through my notes and I see it, I'm like, no, no, no. We've been talking on a lot of different topics. It wasn't me saying that. What you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart on the same exact topic every single time. It doesn't matter what. I could be talking about flowers and birds, and the Holy Spirit's going to tell you the same thing. 
because God is going to be ministering to your heart to draw out from you. It's, it's something where you want to have the Bible open. You want to be able to learn what it says and then apply it in your life. And I want to commend you as a congregation. You know, over the years here at Calvary, God has assembled a group of people that really love the Bible and they love sound doctrine. Now, you know, that may not be always loving to hear what, man, that conviction or that heaviness, but sound doctrine is something that you want to hold on to. And I, I don't want to puff you up and go, well, you know, we're better than other churches. That's not what I mean at all. What I mean is that as you begin to take in the Word of God, you develop an appetite for the Word of God. You know, it's true. Whatever you're fed, there, there are certain foods right now that you like. Like, no one else likes them, but you like it. You know why? Because you were fed it as a kid. And you develop an appetite for it. And it's like you will, you know, everyone else has green beans and corn, but you order the Brussels sprouts. Why? Have you seen those things? Have you seen, I mean, before they're cooked, after the cook, everything about them is just like, oh. But it's, I know, I always get the email. So you can email me, I don't care. I'll just forward it to Ian. It doesn't matter to me. I'll just like, but you know, with enough butter, anything tastes good. I know, I understand. But, but some of you have a specific taste. You really like them. And one of the main reasons is, is because that was a main staple of you growing up. You developed what? An appetite for them. It's the same with the Word of God. It takes some time, but when you start opening the Scriptures and you find that there's meaning in Genesis and there's meaning in Leviticus and, there's, and you go, wow, what else does the Bible have to say to me? And you have an appetite for which, that which you're fed. And I commend you, continue to receive the word, ready and receptive. So the doctrine today, if you're taking notes, the doctrine today that we want to leave with understanding is the doctrine of the incarnation. Incarnation. That's what verse 14 of John chapter 1 is, which is where we left off. John is teaching us the doctrine of the incarnation. And this is what it is, verse 14. And the word, we've already been introduced to him, that's Jesus, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That's the incarnation. The eternal Son of God takes on human flesh, the divine one. The one who's beyond all time and space, the creator and sustainer of the universe, has come down into humanity and taken upon himself a human nature, and literally the creator now dwells among his creation. That's the incarnation. God became man, and he died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's look at it a different way. Turn your Bibles over to Philippians chapter 2, would you? It's to the right of John, Philippians chapter 2. And Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, that's why it's called Philippians, it was written to a church gathering in the city of Philippi. You can go there today and visit the ruins of Philippi. Here's what he wrote to the early church there that gathered in the first century. Pick up with me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The incarnation, God became man. It's a very foundational doctrine. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It takes Paul three verses to describe the incarnation. 
You know, Luke's gospel, you remember we looked at it in the introduction to John, the, different, uh, the differences between the gospels. The gospel of Matthew di- displays Jesus as king. He's the promised Messiah, the king of the Jews. And then we come to Mark's gospel. Mark displays Jesus as the servant, the consummate servant. Then we're in John's gospel right now. We see Jesus, the theme of John is that he's the son of God. Now Luke, you'll recall, the theme of Luke is seeing Jesus as the son of man. You could say this, the entirety of Luke's gospel is describing the incarnation of Jesus, how God became man. And in Luke's gospel, he he used a about 2,500 English words to describe the incarnation. Paul, he uses in Philippians chapter 2, maybe 50 words, but John can nail it down in, in one, in verse 14, in just four words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not only the incarnation of who he is, but what he did, Jesus This is another one of those statements, as we saw in the beginning of John, where John's goal was to get people's attention. The the world was pretty much divided into two categories at this time, the Jewish mind and the Greek mind. Greek philosophy had ruled the world by this time. Uh, The Romans had adopted it and brought it in. So the philosophy of Greece, if you weren't into the philosophy of Greece, most likely you were a Jew. And the Greeks generally held to a low view of God. You'll look at uh, Greek mythology, uh, and you'll see the ancient myths. All of their heroes were superhuman people because they valued humanity. So this would get their attention. God? God would come and become a man, and it would stop them in their tracks. The Jews, on the other hand, when they viewed God, they saw God as grand and glorious, far beyond our ability to connect with him. That he was grand and glorious, and to get close to God would require you to lose your life. And so their view was a distant God, but all-powerful and all-knowing. So whether it was the Greeks with superhuman gods, or the Jews looking at the Logos as unapproachable, John again uses that where he says the word, the Logos... And, and that would immediately grab their minds. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us, just as Matthew said. Matthew said in Matthew chapter 1, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The incarnation, God, the Son, taking on human flesh. He's 100% God and 100% man. That's why at times you'll see that go back and forth as you watch him. There'll be times where in his deity he makes it when he heals someone or times in his humanity when he's tired or he's crying. He's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. He didn't give up any of his deity when he came to the earth, Jesus. And so John says that. He says the word became flesh, one of the fundamental key doctrines in all of the Bible. This is the radical claim of Christianity, isn't it? That God became man, dwelt among us, gave his life for us, was buried in the tomb by other men, but rose again the third day and ascended into heaven in his, right, in his rightful place at the right hand of God. This is the radical claim. There is, I, there is no other uh, man-made religion on the planet that makes such claims. The reason being is Christianity is not a man-made religion. Christianity is the story of Jesus following him, abiding in him. And so what does he say? He says in verse 14, the word became flesh, notice, and dwelt 
among us. Again, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, these are words to mark. You can circle the word dwelt and right next to it, pitch your tent. That's what the word means, to pitch your tent. That's why sometimes when you hear Bible teachers going through this passage, and I even have it written down next to here in my new Bible, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle from the Old Testament? It was that place of worship. It was the temporary tent structure that the children of Israel would take from place to place. And they would plop it down and put the Ark of the Covenant in it. And the very glory of God, the very Shekinah glory of God, the Kabod, the glory of God would reside within the tabernacle. Now, if you were to look at the tabernacle from the outside, or and that's just a fancy word for tent. If you were to look at the tent on the outside, it would be unimpressive. It would be something like if you were looking for a tent to buy, like buying a house, you'd just look on the outside and go, you know, we're going to pass up on this one. It just was covered with badger skins. It was all beat up because they would take it, fold it, put it together, take it out, set it up, take it down. That was part of their travels. It was their portable worship center. It would get beat up and banged up. On the outside, there wasn't much to be seen. There wasn't much to, to enjoy. But on the inside was the very glory of God. It was the very presence of God. It becomes a picture, the tabernacle does, of the coming incarnation, where Jesus was the same. When you look at Jesus on the outside, you would have been unimpressed. He looked like everyone else, which is one of the reasons why I believe, as the gospel story unfolds, that when they went to, um, when they came to arrest Jesus, Judas had to do what? Do you guys know? He had to kiss him. Because I believe from looking at the crowd of people that Jesus was with, you wouldn't be able to... You know, sometimes we think Jesus, all these guys are all dirty and dusty and mangy, but Jesus was the glowing one. Just go after the glowing one. That's the one. You know, the guy that has a halo on. And yeah, you know, which one should we arrest? Well, the guy that's floating six inches off the ground. That's the one. Just look at their feet. No, he was like anyone else. I mean, so much so that he, descri- he dis- demonstrated he was like anyone else in his humanity by taking a, 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 taking a towel and washing his disciples' feet. And so you look at the outward of Jesus, he was a man. This is how the Bible describes it. Paul would say it this way. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And like the tabernacle, he dwelt among us. Not only that, notice in verse 14, we also beheld his glory. This is another important word. Circle the word glory. It's the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A. It literally means the brightness, the splendor, the magnificence of the only begotten. What glory was in the tabernacle? There wasn't much to see on the outside covered with plain badger skins, but on the inside was the very presence, glory, Shekinah of God. And in Jesus' human body came God himself, outwardly covered with ordinary clothes, so ordinary in appearance, but he dwelt among us, filled with the very presence of God. Now, before we move on to the next verse, we can't miss this. Not only do we behold his glory, but notice, he's the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of, he is full of, read it with me, he's full of grace and truth. Now, I'm sure your Bible doesn't say he's full of law and judgment, does it? Anybody have a Bible that says that? You have the wrong Bible. He's not full of legalism and and death, heaviness. Jesus came full of grace and truth. 
That's not something to skip over. And it's true that when we're filled with Jesus, then we too will be full of grace and truth. When we're wronged, we won't retaliate. We won't take matters in our own hands. When, when somebody's slandering you, you won't slander back. You'll just stand and watch God through grace and truth take care of you, watch over you. You, you won't find yourself in areas of revenge or retaliation. Now, I have to say, though, that Jesus is the best example. He is the perfect example of how grace and truth are mixed together. He's the perfect example, and we would do well to follow his example. When we abide in him, this perfect balance and blend of grace and truth comes through us. Because it's very easy to choose one over the other. Like for some of you, you think, well, between grace and truth, I think I'll be great. I think I'll emphasize grace. And by the way, that would be a tremendous decision on your part, that in your life you would emphasize the grace of God. But you know, it's possible to be very full of grace and abandon truth, which then isn't grace at all, because it's a balance between grace and truth. And I've met a lot of very graceful people that were truthless really misunderstanding the grace of God. Now, there are others that when they say grace and truth, they're like, well, you know, I think I'm going to emphasize truth in my life. I'm a very truthful person. I want to emphasize truth. And I would say that's also a great decision to make. But the difficulty will arise when you emphasize truth, but you're very graceless, where you're mastering and majoring on the truth and forget that Jesus came both in grace, giving that which is undeserved, and truth. And I've met many, many people that will just really be truthful and extremely graceless and miss the whole point of why we're on the earth today. That's to represent Jesus in what? Grace and truth. Not one or the other, but both. And even hearing that, some of you need to begin praying about the perfect blending in your own life. Yes, we looked last time, didn't we? Yes, we can win the arguments and lose the people. And at other times, we'd be so full of grace that we don't ever talk about the truth. And then, really, that's not God's grace at all. It's some invention of man. Jesus, he comes. The word becomes flesh. He dwelt. He lived with us. He tabernacled with us. We got to see his glory. You know, I think there was a little peak of the glory of Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was glowing. He was just so bright. It was just kind of leaked out of him. Uh, and, and yet in his life he came in grace and truth. And it says in verse 15, Now John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. We'll get into John just a little bit more in our next study, but John came as the last Old Testament prophet, fulfilling, fulfilling the will of God to declare the coming of Messiah. Uh, John was born first himself in the birth order, but he's truly, literally last because of the order of creation. We'll get into that later. We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. And look for his podcast. It's called Lead to Serve on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership. 
And I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast. Hey, thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Pastor Chuck Smith's very popular book, Love the More Excellent Way. We toss the word around rather casually. We say we love pizza, we love our dog, and we love our spouse. Hopefully not in that order. But what is love? It would serve us well to look into this and receive God's perspective. And love, the more excellent way, gives that to us. You'll walk away with a greater understanding of the beautiful depth of God's love for us and develop a deeper understanding of God's heart for us. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or make a request online at calvaryco.store. Again, that's calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.